John chapter 3, I'm going to be reading from verse 25 to 30. And it's a situation with John the Baptist. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. At that time, a certain Jew began an argument with John's disciples of a ceremonial cleansing. John's disciples came to him and said, Teacher, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you said was the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everybody is going over there instead of coming here to us. And John replied, God in heaven appoints each person's work. You yourselves know how plainly I told you that I'm not the Messiah. I'm here to prepare the way for him. That is all. The bride will go where the bridegroom is. and Bridegroom's friends rejoice with him. I am the bridegroom's friend and I'm filled with this joy at his success. He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. May God's name be blessed, the public reading of his word. And as Ian comes to share from God's word with us, the young people will go to their groups. Good morning, everyone. It's a real joy for me to be here and to recognize some faces, I think, uh, part faces, but behind those masks, I think I can identify a good number of you, and it's a special joy for me to be here. So encouraged to hear and to see what God is doing among you in the initiatives that you are taking, and uh, be assured that uh, Elaine and I are continuing to pray for the Lord's blessing upon you in these coming days. Uh, just a personal thing uh, to avoid you being distracted. Uh, you may notice that my ear is misshapen. I had a melanoma, and uh, that's why it is as it is. So I know that some people will be looking, what's wrong with his ear? So I've told you now. Um, I tried to uh, adjust to the change by referring myself to the Old Testament where uh, you may remember that the servant, if he wanted to stay with the master, even though he was free to go, he had his ear uh, drilled through to identify that he was now for the master. And I, I suggested to Elaine, my wife, well, maybe that's what the Lord was doing. And uh, she somewhat poo-pooed that and said, no, she said, it, it, it looks more like the Apple logo. <laughs> and so, uh, with that encouragement, we press on. <laughs> I'd like us to focus this morning in verse 30 of the passage that Mackie read for us. In the NIV, it says, he must become greater, I must become less. Other versions says, he must increase and I must decrease. And if there's nothing else that you retain from what we share together this morning, it is the priority of Christ being increasingly important and relevant and as a priority in our lives and that we of ourselves 
we must decrease. Now, I'm sure that we're all very grateful that with the COVID restrictions easing, that there is some semblance of normality returning. We've already seen uh, some sports fans able to return in some measure to supporting their teams with the inevitable that follows from that. There is the championing of mine against yours, rovers against city, and in a sense, this is what we're looking at here at the beginning of this incident, because there are the supporters or the disciples of John the Baptist who come to John complaining because supporters who were previously following John the Baptist were now following Jesus. And it's his response, John the Baptist's response to their complaint that we're going to look at this morning. He recognizes that the Lord Jesus has to have the preeminence. He is the Lord. And so for him, as the one who has come to announce the coming of the king, he must decrease. If we just flip back over to John chapter 1, we see that John the Apostle has already explained what the purpose of John the Baptist was in God's plan. Verse 8, he, namely John the Baptist, he himself was not that light. He came only as a witness to the light. John 20, John 1 verse 20 in that same chapter, he said, I am not the Christ. Who are you then? Are you Elijah? I am not. Are you the prophet? No. Who are you? And what does he say in 23? I am the voice of what calling in the desert makes straight the way of the Lord. And so that John the Baptist is, in a sense, the last line of the prophets of the Old Testament pointing to Christ. And he's the one who announces that the Lord Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so as a result, he is no longer in the limelight, but rather he points to the Lord Jesus. We see in the earlier parts of the Gospels how crowds come to hear John the Baptist. They were flocking to hear him. Now, because the Lord Jesus has come, there's a change. No longer following John, now following the Lord Jesus. As the herald steps aside when the king comes, so John the Baptist steps aside because the Lord Jesus has arrived. And so what I would like us to recognize in this expression of John the Baptist is four things that reflect his response. In verse 27 to 28, we see a contentedness in John the Baptist. There is contentment. He knew that his role was to be a forerunner. He wasn't the Lord, and his role was simply to announce that he was coming. And now that he's come, his role is being completed. He's content to be the person that the Lord made him to be and to fulfill the role that God had given to him. Look again at verse 27. A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. He knew that the role, responsibilities, and gifts that God had given to him was to be the forerunner. 
to announce. And he was content in fulfilling that plan. And so when he was coming to the conclusion of his ministry, and people now were no longer following him, but rather following Jesus, we find that there is joy in his heart. We see that John is content in the setting that God has given to him. Paul speaks to Timothy that godliness with contentment is great gain. This humility in John here, he embraces the fact that he is being eclipsed. Why? Because that's his role. That's what God purposed. This is best in the kingdom, he's saying. And so the gifts and blessings that others receive are not a reason for us to be jealous, but rather to give praise to our Heavenly Father. Do you remember Jonathan in the Old Testament? He was the first one born of King Saul. And given the culture and the pattern at the time, he was due to take the place of King Saul when King Saul was to die. But he knew that David was rather the one who had been appointed by God to take Saul's place. And so what did Jonathan say? He didn't fight. He wasn't jealous. He humbled himself. He recognized that David was God's choice, and so he accepted what God had given. And so it was for John the Baptist. He accepted what God had given to him, recognizing that the gifts and the privileges and the roles that he had were given by God and limited by God. A couple of applications before we move on to the second point. What's your role and what are your giftings? Sometimes we can be consumed with the desire to have the giftings of another person to be like someone else, or to have the prominence that others have, or to have the blessings that others enjoy. Here we have the example of John the Baptist that shows us that as we may be tempted by these thoughts, the way to peace and the way to true blessing is to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, not to give way to those thoughts of jealousy. You know that in an athletics race, the runners line up and the starter sounds his gun and off they go. And the attention, quite naturally and appropriately, is on the runners. It's not on the starter. The starter's done his role, he's finished now. And this is John the Baptist's view. I played my role and that's sufficient for me. And so let me encourage us all, don't let disappointment or jealousy suck away at the spiritual vitality of our hearts, but rather rest under God's wisdom in giving to us those gifts and those responsibilities that he in his wisdom has given. Second application, make sure that whatever giftings that you have received Whatever privileges that you have received, whether it's education or whether it's finance, whether it's family connections or whatever it is, make sure that you steward those things 
in a manner that glorifies the Lord Jesus. Second thing that we notice here in our text is uh, from verse uh, 29. That John is joyful. He is joyful when Christ is exalted. And he explains this by using an illustration, an illustration of wedding. He compares himself to the best man in a wedding. And what's the role of the best man? The role, the role of the best man is to welcome the bridegroom and the bride. And when he has come, when they have come, then his heart is satisfied. He has fulfilled his role. Nobody's delighted to see the best man. The people that they want to see is the groom and the bride. And so this is how John is trying to explain to his disciples, my role is simply to be the best man to introduce so that people see the bridegroom and the bride. The picture of Christ and the church in terms of the wedding is something that has been seen in the Old Testament. Isaiah 62 verse 5, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Jeremiah 2, 2, remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert. And so, as John fulfills his role, the Old Testament prophecies were being fulfilled. Hope was being realized. Salvation was being won. God was being glorified. And as a result, there is joy in his heart. Verse, that's verse, verse 29. His, he is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. They've come for the marriage. They've come for the wedding. They've come for the celebration. And now he is happy too because he has fulfilled his role. He has played his part. We have the moon shining in the night. But when the day comes, what happens to the brightness of the moon? It fades away. And this is, gives John joy because the Lord Jesus now is being displayed. He has arrived, he has come, and so now he can fade into the background because he has fulfilled his role. And so let me ask us all this morning, what's the source of our joy? Is it in the plaudits or the appreciation, the praise of others? Or is it that Christ is glorified? When you speak for the Lord or when you serve the Lord in this way or that way, are you looking for the endorsement and the approval of others? Or are you looking for God's smile? Let's look at the third point, that John is compelled. Verse 30, the text, the particular verse that we're looking at, he must become greater, I must become less. Compelled, there's that sense of divine imperative that is needed here. John is saying there's no alternative, it's not a choice. He has to become greater. This is what is important, this is what is key. Lord Jesus, be great, be greater 
in my life. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 says, For Christ's love compels us. And John is recognizing this priority, even though it cost him his popularity, even though it cost him his position. And so, as we look at this verse, he must become greater, I must become less. What does that mean in practical application? It means using the time that I've been given, using it profitably rather than to give way to self-indulgence. It means being patient when kids are unkind and foolish again. It means forgiving when you have been hurt. Being generous when you feel that you've already given your share. Reaching out to others when you're tired, when you go the second mile, the third mile, and the fourth mile. Being kind to the neighbor who is unfriendly and mean-spirited means actively applying God's word to everyday issues, being ready to be different, even if it means being painful. And so underlying what John is saying here is that with his desire that Christ be glorified, that he has to die to himself. I must become less. And God's great plan in his word is the revealing of Lord Jesus and for him to be exalted in the hearts of men and women. His great purpose is to make his son great. And how does this happen? It happens when believing in the Lord Jesus, being born again of his spirit, we put to death our own desires in order that he may be seen and that he may be exalted. I read a book recently that had the intriguing title, We Died Before We Came. Now with a title like that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense at imme immediately, that in draws you in. What does that mean? It's the testimony of a, a couple who went to North Africa and uh, they were saying, by that sense, we died before we came, that we had died to security. We've died to safety. And ultimately, in 2009, that's what the husband had to pay. He had paid with his life. He was assassinated. But not all of us face those sort of issues. Perhaps we're facing a different type of issues in the settings in which we are in. Am I prepared to look stupid when my colleagues laugh at me when I share about the Lord Jesus? Am I ready to take risks for the Lord Jesus and fall flat on my face? Will I die to my desire to be appreciated and valued if it means that Christ will be seen more clearly? The challenge is, is the Lord Jesus truly going to be the priority in the daily application of issues in my life? 
Or is it simply going to be something that we read about or even agree just in the Bible? There is a divine imperative here, an action indicated, reinforced by a divine obligation. And it speaks of progress, which is seen here saying, in effect, John the Baptist, that the prominence that I have given to myself must get smaller and smaller, and Christ must become more and more evident in my life. And so if, for example, I have a tendency to be irritated I become less and Christ becomes more when instead of that irritation there is that patience. Do you remember the Lord Jesus, how he was patient with his disciples when they fell again? What do we see in the Savior? We see he gives grace, he understands, he helps. And so in a similar way, as we walk with the Lord, we will see him greater as we reflect his character in the issues that we have to deal with. And so that's the challenge for us all. Are we progressing or are we coasting? Are we seeing more and more of what it means to be, to take up our cross and to follow him? Because the wonder of God's plan is that as we do that, as we take up our cross and follow him, what happens? We see that Christ is more and more evident and more and more clear and more and more greater. And inevitably, recognizing the challenge of what we're talking about here is, how do we do this? Because it is beyond us. And that brings us to that fourth point, that we are empowered. God doesn't leave us to do these challenging things by ourselves, but he has given us his spirit. His spirit indwells the child of God. As we look at the disciples before the coming of the spirit, how were they? They were frightened. They were confused. They were fearful. After the coming of the Spirit, they were confident, clear-thinking, and courageous. And that's our encouragement as we face this afternoon, as we face this coming week, that because the Spirit has come, we are enabled to do what is naturally impossible. Because the Spirit of God gives us that strength, gives us that wisdom, and gives us that heart that seeks to please him, whatever happens. And what is the sign of the working of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of people? How do we know that the Spirit of God is moving? John 16, 14. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. And this is how we can see whether we are truly knowing that moving of the Spirit in our lives because the Lord Jesus becomes more and more evident in this broken, sad, and hurting world. And it's as the people of God, taking that cross with their eyes upon Christ, denying themselves and living for Christ, so then Christ is seen and Christ is presented to this fallen world. And so, 
child of God, take heart. Be encouraged by the promises of God's Word. But maybe you are not a child of God. Maybe these things are strange. These things are, are confusing to you. But one thing you do know, that you have a heaviness in your heart. You know that you are not right inside. What's the answer for you? As Richard reminded us this morning, is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you believe that by the Spirit you will have new life and new hope. Pentecost celebrates the fullness of the Spirit being given to the people of God. It underscores the fullness of God's promise and God's grace to those who trust in Christ. Let me just conclude here just with one illustration or one reference to somebody of a different era. We have seen that Christ exalted when Christ was exalted by John the Baptist as he had contentment, as he was joyful, as he was compelled, and as he was empowered. And this was true of Hudson Taylor. His life reflected that and once when he was being introduced to a, a large congregation he was introduced in eloquent and glowing terms and presented as our illustrious guest as he stood up to speak he opened his message by saying dear friends i am the little servant of an illustrious master and this is the attitude of John the Baptist, a little servant of an illustrious master. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the salvation that we enjoy because of him we thank you that he humbled himself and became a servant and we thank you that it was even unto death that he served and we pray that you would help us on this pentecost sunday to know the enabling of your spirit to live not for ourselves but for him and we pray that in the challenges and the temptations and the struggles that we have, that we would know more and more of your Spirit as we seek more and more to see Christ greater in our lives. Help us in our weakness, we pray, and give us your courage and your help in these coming days. In Jesus' name. Amen.